T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. We have a lot to talk about in this very quick interview for about 20 minutes. Um, joining me is lawyer or attorney Corey L. Gordon. Now, if you don't know him, I've never heard of him. He is with Norton Rose Fulbright Global Law Firm. They have 3,700 lawyers and located in one of their um, locations is in Minneapolis. And I'm really excited to have him join us tonight. And why? Because in June 2020, amid calls for a global racial reckoning in the shadow of George Floyd's murder, Minnesota took a small but symbolic step to address its long paradoxical history of racism, granting its first ever posthumous pardon to Max Mason, a black man wrongly convicted of rape and subsequently lynched a century earlier. It's quite amazing when you hear about this, right? So many of us don't really pay attention to partners necessarily or don't pay attention to what happens to the person who was wronged. Um, and so we talk about justice alike, but what does justice really mean? Again, welcome attorney Corey L. Gordon. He is joining us tonight. Hello, Corey. I hope you don't mind me calling you by your first name. No, no please do. Please do. And I, I, thank, thank you, Jerome. It's nice to be on the, the show. It's great to have you. This is really real because I, I took a justice and reconciliation class. I'm getting a master's in a seminary. And I cannot tell you how surprising it was to find out all of the, def, you know, as many definitions as we could find of justice. And I, I keep saying to myself, what does that really mean? So can we start with the understanding of what justice really is? I think of it as equity or, or um, um, ju- uh, fairness. Yeah, exactly. Treating each person, you know, uh, the same, not not tilting the the scales of justice one way or the other. Uh, treating people who have who have committed a crime uh, with the, the rights that are due and accused, and you know, but uh, uh, irrespective of of their color, their um, their social standing, their their wealth or lack thereof, uh, that, you know, that's, that's a, a critical part of it. It is a critical part of it for sure. Uh, my, my biggest question uh, today is that we keep hearing these words being used about justice and um, how we're trying to get to justice. And there are so many different types of justice like you um, are, my understanding is you concentrate on restor- restorative justice. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I, I'm actually I'm learning more about it too, and I'm I'm, I'm frankly intrigued to, to to hear more from you about your uh, your coursework in this. Um, I mean, I've been a civil litigator for 42 years, um, and it's only 
in, in my, my, my later years that I've really started thinking about what, what it means to be a part of the, the, the legal system and the justice system and learning more about, about the concepts of restorative justice. Um, and I was, I was fortunate enough to, it was, it was in 2019 that actually my wife and I were watching a documentary in Minnesota history. There was a segment on the, the, the Duluth lynchings. Three uh, African American men who were lynched by a by a mob the size it would considered about twenty percent of the Duluth population at the time, you know, gruesome lynching. Uh, well, not that there was anything but a gruesome lynching, but it, postcards were made of it. And and, and you know, I'm I, I'm a min- lifelong Minnesotan. So was my wife, and neither of us had been aware of this. And that that in that in of itself was you know shocking and and and. Frankly, disgraceful that this is that this aspect of our history was something that you know neither of us had learned about uh, you know being educated in Minnesota schools. Um, but uh, I mean, it's not surprising that uh, that that kind of ugly history was was kept quiet for a long time until a, a Duluth researcher, a Duluth uh, teacher uh, named John Fado, uh, dug up the historical records and, and, and wrote a. a, a wonderful book about one wonderful powerful book about it and you know, I, I consumed that and when i realized that my gosh the, the 100th anniversary is coming up next year i thought what you know what what can we do uh what what can i as a lawyer do what and and the, the firm i was with uh, at the time and had been for 16 years i'm, I'm, I'm very new to norton Rose fulbright um my but my my then partner Jerry Blackwell uh, and uh, and I discussed this, and we came up with the idea of seeking a, a posthumous pardon uh, for the one man who had been convicted and, and served time. And it was it was clearly a you know a, a racially uh, biased prosecution and, and decision. Um, and uh, he 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 spent four years of a, of a much lengthier sentence in, in uh, the Minnesota prison system and. They they finally kicked him out. They pardoned him on the condition that he leave and never return to the state of Minnesota, which mm-hmm. is kind of an odd provision. But it was clear they, you know, Duluth wanted to, to put that chapter behind it, and it was kind of kind of lost in the midst of time until uh, the late 1970s. But you know, when we when I started looking into this, I, I naively assumed that posthumous pardons would be something that you know there was a process for. Turns out it had never been granted in Minnesota, um, and in fact, until fairly recently, there had been virtually no posthumous pardons in the United States. Uh, even though there was no clear prohibition against them, and in, in, in the provisions of, of you know the federal constitution and most state constitutions granted you know the, whatever authority the president, the governor, or the pardons board uh, authority to grant pardons without limitation um so we embarked on a on a process of of coming up with a legal justification for why the the minnesota pardon board could uh um, grant a posthumous pardon pardon board consists of the governor the attorney general chief justice and we uh we put this uh put this petition together we uh, were fortunate to work with the folks in up in duluth who uh serve on the Clayton Jackson McGee Memorial Committee, which uh, was a committee that was established a number of years ago uh, by the Luthians to, to uh, commemorate, commemorate the, the three men who were actually lynched, Clayton Jackson mm-hmm. and McGee. 
and if you've had a chance to to see the the memorial in Duluth, it's 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 at the intersection where the the actual lynching took place, Kitty Corner, in fact, from from where the actual lamp pole uh, that uh, that the lynchings occurred occurred on. Um, it's a powerful, powerful memorial, uh, and if you haven't been it, been there, it's, it, I, I encourage it's worth a trip a trip up to Duluth. Anyhow, long winded way of saying we we uh, we you know started started the process, and it, it took you know a number of months, and, and the, the final hearing on the the petition uh, was June twelfth, June twelfth, um, just three days before the hundredth anniversary, and. Um, uh, unfortunately, because of COVID, we weren't able to do some of the events that, that had been planned in connection with the 100th anniversary. But June 12, 2020 also happened to be uh, not just a few days uh, after uh, the murder of George Floyd. And the uh, I, I hope that the spotlight that, that a little bit of media attention that the posthumous pardon got on it was, was you know, played some small role in reconciliation and, 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 and addressing or at least acknowledging the racial injustices that, that, that have occurred here in the state of Minnesota, you know, a hundred years ago. And of course, it just occurred a matter of days before that. So the time that you have spent in these posthumous pardons, uh, I'm wondering how has it changed you? Well, it, I, you know, learning about this that particular ugly chapter in Minnesota history, I got further into understanding what was going on both in Minnesota and and, and nationally in the in that period, the 1920s. Um, and so I, 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 you know, kind of really dug into it and, and learned a lot about what was going on in Minnesota in particular. The you know, I, there was a vibrant Ku Klux Klan. Uh, movement in Minnesota. They were having, you know, ramp rallies and family picnics, and, and they had chapters throughout the the state. And elected officials who were members of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, Minnesota was a prominent uh, uh, state in, in in terms of, of eugenics legislation. You know, forced sterilization, mm-hmm. which at its core was a it was a a, a racist uh, concept. Or, gussied up in, in, in science. Um, and Minnesota was one of the, the, the leading states in that, in that area. And we had some of the, you know, leading proponent proponents of, of eugenics. And of course, Minnesota was a hotbed of, of, you know, we never had de jour actual law, Jim Crow laws, but boy, we sure, we sure managed to got to get around it, uh, with, with redlining with, um, uh, restrictive covenants with uh, the way uh, bus routes were were created, the way freeways were uh, placed to de, you know destroying the Rondo neighborhood, for example, in, in St. Paul um, in the 1920s and 1930s, uh, an African American couldn't be in a, wasn't allowed to be in a a, a, a white dormitory in the University of Minnesota. Was, you know, there was no law in the books, but the University of Minnesota housing was segregated. Um, and it's learning about this chapter in our history is, has been terrifying. But learning about it as an academic exercise, is, you know, it's, uh, there's value to that, obviously. But the, the real value is, is trying to draw an understanding of any 
of parallels to to our own times. And, and I'll be I'll be candid. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm terrified right now that I'm seeing a whole lot of parallels. Um, the you know the, the the resurgence of scientific racism. They're not calling it eugenics anymore, but you know we, we've, we've certainly seen that that coming to the fore. The, you know the fear of the other, the fear of the outsider, the immigrant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the 1920s, the, the power in society was white Protestant males, right? And they were that was being threatened by uh, an influx of, of uh, immigrants, Catholics and Jews. It was being threatened by by women suffrage. It was threatened by the, you know, the great migration, African-Americans, mm-hmm. uh, descendants of enslaved people moving, moving to the North. And it was all, rea- you know, there were, it was a reaction to the threat to the power structure. Sound familiar? Make America yeah. great again. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you this. In, you talk about how these pardons remain rare uh, without historical precedent or clear legal authority boards, grapple with their power to grant them even. So how far have we really come since? Uh, it's, oh, it's getting better. It's, it's getting a lot better in, in, in recent years. Minnesota's joined a number of other states uh, and, and the, the federal government. Fed, uh, president Clinton was the first president to grant a, a U.S. pardon, and uh, it was to a, um, a former African-American soldier. In fact, the first African-American graduate of West Point, uh, Lieutenant Flipper, uh, who had been convicted of you know, conduct on becoming a soldier or some some such thing? There was you know it was pure racism uh, at, at the time, and and uh, um, a group of people convinced uh, President Clinton that the, yeah there actually was the federal power to to grant a posthumous pardon, and he did so with a you know a, a powerful uh, statement about what society can learn from that. And a number of other states have done as well. In, in Alabama, they, they actually they enacted a law, and it's called the Scottsboro Bo- uh, Boys Law, um, which was a, a legislative uh, effort to uh, grant a posthumous pardon to the you know wrongfully convicted uh, Scottsboro Boys. Um, mm-hmm. you know, horrible, horrible racist incident. Right. Um, the governor of Maryland, not that long ago, uh, granted a sort of a mass pardon uh, to several dozen uh, African American men who had been convicted over the you know over the years of a variety of, of uh, trumped up charges and uh, false crimes. Now, a, a pardon obviously doesn't do anything for somebody who's been lynched. You know? Exactly, exactly. But it says that it occasionally benefits relatives. So is that true? And if so, are you hearing more from families as more pardons are happening posthumously? Well, no, I don't. I, so far, I don't. I, I don't know that. I mean, I, I haven't. But that doesn't mean that that's that, that that's not uh, becoming uh, a tool in the in, in the toolbox for people who are, um, you know, de- dedicated full time to restorative justice. If if you know, as a result of somebody's conviction. Uh, they lost certain rights, such, perhaps certain property rights or uh, um, things like that, and uh, you know, and they they have living relatives who would have otherwise benefited from it. The you know, a posthumous pardon could theoretically restore whatever you know, property rights or other things were lost. But more more importantly, I think if you know if you if you lived with the stigma of having somebody in your family uh, having had a conviction for something that. That they weren't guilty of, 
uh, a posthumous pardon can, I think, can probably be a, a, an emotional uh, relief or a lifting of a of a burden. Um, and from a societal standpoint, I think that's really what pardon is all about. It's, it's, but Corey, here's the thing that concerns me, right? Um, we can put these posthumous paroles out, and my concern is that no one will care. Because it doesn't, I, yep. it, it, I, I really am concerned about that. So then, where do we make sure? How do we make sure that it matters? It, well, you're you're absolutely right. If 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 that's all that happens is you know it's a, a governor signs a piece of paper and there's a there's a press release and okay, so and so is posthumously pardoned. It doesn't. It, it it's meaningless. It, it, and um, the 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 hope is that um, it it's, it becomes one component of. Of, the, of a much broader concept of restorative justice, you know, truth and reconciliation, addressing our history and, 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 and understanding it and reconciling it. The, the, the federal judiciary in uh, uh, Minnesota, which my, I'm happy to say my former partner, Jerry Blackwell, is now going to become a part of, uh, it has, uh, was, was heavily involved and, and incredibly supportive of this, of this whole project, the, the Max Mason pardon, as, as well as other things related to the, for the commemoration or the the, the, the honoring of the, the lynched uh, three men who were lynched. Um, well, I am so but, sorry but, that we are we have run out of time. I'm so sorry about that, Corey. But I do want to mention that um, I wonder if George Floyd himself could have a posthumous pardon. Well, there's a, there's there's an effort underway. There was an effort, and 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 I'm hoping it's going to be revived again. Originally, the pardon board in Texas had uh, recommended a posthumous pardon. And then, for reasons that are still unclear to me, they res- they they rescinded that um, just fairly recently. And I'm I'm actually trying to run that to ground and, and, and see. Well, I do know. hope to have you on again to to talk more about this. I'm so grateful that I had a chance to meet you across the airwaves. So thank you again, Corey, for joining us tonight. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. All right. That is Corey L. Gordon, attorney of Norton Rose Fulbright. And by the way, this conversation is about race. And so today's conversation on race is brought to you by YMCA of the North. YMCA is committed to discussions on racial equity and inclusion and being a leader in social responsibility. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 